The meeting of two minds on the Badger Shelf. We'll set the world to rights and try to find more Badger puns. Welcome to the Badger Shelf. That's yep, an excellent Doctor Who intro. Doc, what? I don't know. Is that how the theme tune goes? I mean, I'm I'm genuinely convinced you don't know how to make theme tunes. I write the theme tune, I sing the theme tune. Every time you've tried to emulate a theme tune on this podcast, it has come out completely unrecognisable. That's my it's my jazzy vibes, baby. Horrendous. The, <laughs> the reason that I <laughs> butchered the uh, apparently not so well-known Doctor Who theme tune <laughs> is that today, today on the Banjo Shell, we are discussing the strange and mysterious case of missing episodes Ooh. from various forms of media um most famously of course there are the the doctor who missing tapes which is why i thought it would be a nice way to intro this but i need to go and watch it and actually figure out the tune <laughs> the next time maybe that is the the missing that that's the theme tune for the missing episodes oh that's it it's it just sounds like deep. a cat being hit by a bus <laughs> <laughs> You've got to take this all the way to the top. This shit goes deep, yo. So tell us about the, the lost episodes of Doctor Who for anyone who doesn't understand. Well, um, it, it's a tale, a, ra- a rather old story. Um, I've got all the information here, actually. Let's see. It was sort of back in the, the late 60s, the early 1970s. Um, television companies were having a problem with the storage and um, essentially just self-keep, safekeeping of old film tapes of the TV shows that they'd made. And it seems very strange, of course, where, you know, these days we've got a whole world of streaming possibilities and everything is available digitally. But back in day, if anyone's seen uh, Inglorious Bastards, you'll know just how dangerous film tape can be. It, it was flammable. Um, it had to be kept at a certain temperature and humidity or it would deteriorate it was very volatile stuff you know oh yeah before 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 the good old digital world we live in now and so companies like the bbc and various other tv uh, production companies realized that they were very quickly running out of space for all the top-notch television they were making and essentially the great idea was after broadcast and after it had been sold to other networks, etc., etc. Once it outlived its shelf life, literally, uh, they just started wiping. And it was, some of them were almost immediately after broadcast, especially things like Doctor Who, which is the famous one you hear about, the the lost adventures of Doctor Who. And that was really a culprit because nobody at the BBC really liked Doctor Who. It was very much their sort of um, low-budget Shame uh, embarrassment show. Embarrassment of a show, yeah. <laughs> so almost immediately after they'd aired an episode, that tape was just reused for something else. And so that that's basically what we're looking at today. And it's not just uh, Doctor Who. It's so many classic shows from that era. Um, you might know more of these than me, um, but we've got 
Hancock's Half Hour, Dad's Army, that's a very big one. Yeah. Uh, Z, Z Cars, Z Cars, yeah. my man Brian Blessed. Uh, the Wednesday Play, Till Death Do Us Part, Steptoe and Son, another classic. Um, and Not Only, But Also, were some other TV shows that were ripped to shreds and wiped out. And um, it was it, it was very annoying because almost almost a decade later, videotapes were a thing. <laughs> and so suddenly these TV stations were like, oh my God, we've we've literally burned money down the drain. And they were desperately scrambling to try and rebuild their collections so they could then sell them as videotape collections. Um, it is absolute madness. One the, the the genre that seems to got hit hardest by this was comedy. Oh yeah, there there was a sort of scaling system that I've read about doing this research, and so things at the top, things that were always saved, were either important historical media, so like coronations and important civic events, important documentaries, and things like televised plays, so like film theater. Etc. Etc. All these deeply cultural things were saved and they were never touched. And then, yeah, TV comedy and TV like sitcom was the first to go. And all these classic shows were deemed, you know, once it's aired, who wants who wants to watch it again? You know, there was no concept of reruns or watching things again. It was just kind of one and done, you know. And also, rather interestingly, it was the the actors. And the performer unions that didn't want reruns because it meant it would be less likely that new TV would be made, meaning less revenue for the people involved. So there were all these factors going on that seem literally a lifetime ago. You know, this is a different world. Now everything is saved and restored and you've got, you know, the, the remastered version, the such and such, and everyone wants to see everything restored to its glory. But yeah, <laughs> back in back in day, it was just burn it and reuse it. Boom, horrifying. It's a bit bizarre. I don't know. Obviously, those are two extremes. Like the the golden area must lie between, because we don't want to just be watching like Grand Theft Auto Five has been released on three consecutive PlayStation generations. <laughs> yeah, may, maybe that can be wiped. You know, we can write over that. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, reuse the tapes. Could you imagine, like? Can you imagine a world where there wasn't any faulty towers by the time we were alive? Oh, yeah. You know, couldn't see any Monty Python because it's all been taped over. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Like, some of these legacy programs um, were just deleted and they weren't, you know, a lot a lot of them were, it's the idea of the cult following and a lot of them weren't really as revered back in the day as they are now. Um, and it, there's a lot to talk about with nostalgia and all that kind of stuff. but. Um, what what was really interesting about this whole topic is basically the only reason that they stopped doing this kind of prior to videotape and stuff was because Doctor Who fanatics were asking a whole campaign to stop the removal of tapes. And they were almost um, at the point where they were going to buy the tapes from the BBC rather than have them be reused. It was a whole thing. Um, and as ever, God bless the crazy nerds for saving the world. It always comes down to us. It's incredible. Nerds are <laughs> the best, just generally the best. And it's extraordinary. The the whole kind of process of recovering film is an ongoing thing. Um, 
I've, I read here there was one where they only just found a few episodes. Um, oh, he's lost it. Um, essentially, they'd, they'd, they'd found a, a set. There we go. In 2018, the BBC were able to release two previously lost Doctor Who stories after they were discovered in, quote-unquote, a dusty room in the African desert by a lost <laughs> episode hunter, Philip Morris. And this is basically what it is. These episode hunters were just out in the world finding them. Yeah, because like, like Indiana Jones. Anywhere it was then like because they didn't send things over the internet back in the day. They had to if some if something was going to be shown in another country, it had to be physically brought to that country. Yeah. To run out of a broadcast station. Precisely. Back in the day of um, the negatives and the film and all that stuff. And so that's what they were doing. They were tracking like. Um, shipping orders, and they were looking at where film had been sent, and they were going to these countries, and they were finding these old tapes. And it's incredible the amount of energy and and and, and dedication that has gone into this. But also, it was um, there was an interesting fact that it was the um, the private collectors uh, uh, market had a big part to play. Um, for instance, you know, you know Bob Monkhouse. Oh yes. Mr. Mr. Man back in the day. Um, he had apparently one of the most respectable and revered collections of uh of of of, of um film film reels. He had loads of old Hollywood golden era tapes, he had crazy like early black and white comedies, and he, he would hold screenings and things at his house for all his friends, and he had apparently one of the greatest collections of of private film ever amassed. Um, and then, what's in, in the seventies? A film company tried to sue him for infringement of copyright, and he was able to win the case by proving that even though he was in possession of copyright material, he wasn't profiting from it, and it was only being shown privately in the comfort of his own home. And this set the precedent for like modern home cinema as we know it today. Yeah. Because now it is, it's it's at the start of your well, not anymore, you know. But when you used to watch a videotape, it had to have the start going. This this uh, this production is suitable only for home viewing and not for public event, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's Bob Monkhouse. It was all due to Bob Monkhouse um, winning his little case and allowing us the right to enjoy copyrighted media in the comfort of our own home. And it was um, essentially, yeah, nineteen seventy something. It doesn't have the exact date. And then that led into home cinema and videotaping and where we are now with an entire streaming universe ahead of us. It's just incredible. It is absolutely mad that when you think of some of the absolute tripe that's on TV now that will last for the rest of humanity. Oh, my God. Like, in in 2090, we could watch Selling Sunset on something. <laughs> it's just Hopefully. diabolical. Um but I did, it, it reminds me of a thing I read about recently, which is um, the oversaturation of, of, of media and things. Because it was an interesting point, whereas like 20 years ago, everyone watched what was available and then more things came out. You know, back when Friends aired, everyone watched Friends because that was the thing, it was the time. But people are still watching Friends and the problem with new media is it's all being judged against everything that's ever happened. Yeah. Whereas before, it was only within its time period. So, like, Friends was judged against its peers. Seinfeld. And it didn't... Yeah, it was that. It didn't need to, like, 
address every possible piece of media in the world. Whereas now, it's the reason that so many shows start and then get cancelled, et cetera, et cetera, is because there isn't that concentration of interest in things anymore because you can just watch Friends on repeat and you can listen to old Pink Floyd albums on Spotify and you can do all this, you know, and you you aren't hemmed in anymore by what's available at the time, which in one hand is amazing because you can enjoy media from the entirety of human life, but also it makes it very difficult to make any sort of wave with new things because people aren't taking chances on stuff as much because they don't have to. You know, why would you sit and watch eight hour long episodes of some strange new drama when you can just watch Friends again? This is the this is the issue. Um, so that's a little that's a little side thing on to, on top of this current topic, but it's all part and parcel. I was just say I was just having a wee bit of a read on the BBC's you know absolute blender it put all its shows through. Oh, it's horrifying! Um, but they all did it like a a um AT, uh, itn and everyone was burning stuff. Yeah. Um, Steptoe and Son has no uh-huh. completely lost episodes. Everything has been recovered. Um, the, the only thing is the series made a switch to colour when it returned from hiatus in 1970. Oh. And 13 of the episodes from season 5 and 6 only survive in black and white. That's the only recordings they've managed to get of them. Ooh. So whereas obviously there, are, there is some missing stuff there because of the purges, mm. we have all the episodes of Step 2 and Son. Blessed be their names. That's good. Oh. The um, what what uh, when that doesn't happen, unfortunately, you know, it is always nice to get the originals all together like that. But the alternative that people have been doing is um, the remaking of old episodes. Um, so that rather, happened with Dad's Army, didn't it? That's exactly what I'm looking at here. Um, it was 2019. Um, they basically uh, a bunch of incredible actors got together. Um, and they just redid three lost episodes. Um, like they just remade them from the ground up. I haven't watched them, the new ones, but apparently it was really, really good. Is it the, well received? Is it the cast that did the film? No, I don't think uh, so. Because they were actually uh, very good. It's people like Timothy West, Kevin Eldon, Tom Rosenthal from Friday Night Dinner. Oh, okay. I have to give that a watch. Kevin McNally, like it's a good cast. Um, I don't think it's yeah, it's not the people that were in the film. It's much more um, British TV actors, anything um, rather than movie stars. Uh, so if you want to hate someone, um, Adam Lee was the the selector, uh, sorry, the archive selector. That was his job. He had to go right through and decide what was getting purged. Um, he was he did a purge in nineteen ninety three. And pretty much wiped out their entire collection of um, children's TV series from the seventies and eighties. Oh my god! Um, Play School is a show that, of the five thousand five hundred, less than two thousand are known to survive. Wow! Which is just mental. Like kids' shows, especially, are ones that we don't really need to keep making more of. I mean, you could replay old episodes of kids' shows over and over. The kids don't know. And in 93 as well, that seems really late to be purging like that. You think by that point they'd know better. What a bam. But then, like, obviously, it says job, so there's someone higher up 
making sure it's getting done. Well, that's true. He's the scapegoat. They still need the storage, of course. Steady man. But um, but yeah, it's incredible. The I mean, the 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 dad's army one is one example, but the big one is Doctor Who with the the sort of audiobook versions of uh, of lost episodes. And yeah. there's been quite a few animated ones as well. There's been a few animated films and stuff starring like the original actors who would have done it originally. It's incredible. So like they get the old Doctor Who actor to come in and do the voice acting. Wow. So yeah. Like they're taking it seriously. Um I've got a I've got a friend in fact, um a young man called Alistair Rennie, who is a big Doctor Who nut. Shout out Alistair. And he routinely buys on vinyl these re-released audio episodes. It's just incredible levels of fandom. The thing is, there's a lot of these so just I've haven't we look at um more modern examples like there's examples here from the 2010s things that have been specifically and surgically removed oh yes (laughs) yeah like the um community episode advanced dungeons and dragons where chang plays a drow oh god yes is that removed i watched that fairly recently Apparently, Netflix and Hulu removed that. So that was the second D&D episode they did. No. Yeah, they did, they did two. But there was... They did. In the second one, Chang's in blackface. Uh, I thought it was the first one, because the first one was in the library, in the study room, and then the second no, one was... No, Chang... I don't think Jeff's Chang apartment. actually even took play, took part in the first one. That's when they were trying to cheer up the uh, the big guy. Maybe there's... Pierce was the antagonist. Because one of them's in Jeff's apartment... And they're trying to. Who was? They were trying to reunite a father and son, weren't they? I the Chang one. He was sitting at the table, like in the study room. Yeah, we're just gonna have to watch all of Community. <laughs> I reckon so. But stuff like that is interesting, where it's it's almost um, deliberate and surgically removed, rather than just you know burned for space. Um, yeah. yeah, like they like the the Pokemon episode with. Um, oh, with the gun. With the gun and also also the one with um, the, the seizures and stuff. Oh, like, God, yes, that one. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of Pokemon episodes that actually had to be quietly removed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, must be a, a good list of them here somewhere. But um, yeah, there's the, the, the seizure one. I wonder if you can actually still find that anywhere. Because it only aired oh, once really? in Japan. I'm sure somebody's got it. Yeah. There's... Mm-hmm. Um, so a, there was actually a Friends episode that had to be scrapped and reshot after 9-11. Oh, God. Um, I have actually seen all this footage, though, so it's not lost. So it, was, it was just removed. Yeah. It's on YouTube somewhere. Um, well, that's basically, it. Chandler and Monica get stopped in airport security, and ja- Chandler keeps making jokes that he's got a bomb in his luggage. Oh, no. Anyway, it was all silly, and it was all... it was Some of it was quite funny, but... Um, damn. <laughs> damn, damn. It was just real bad timing. It's unfortunate. But I mean, there's the idea as well. Like, nowadays, because of like personal archival, nothing is lost. Like, with the internet, everything is somewhere. Have you ever used the Wayback Machine? Oh, no. I have heard of it, but I don't reckon. I love it. I don't believe I've ever tried it. It is a website that is essentially constantly archiving the internet. Oh. So you can go onto it and look up historic versions of websites. Oh my god. Yeah. 
So say, for example, there's a site that used to have like a really useful page or a really funny story, and now it's gone. You can just look up the old version of it. That's amazing. How does that even work? It, it's literally... Are you, do you know how caching works? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I know what it is, because I clear it. I don't know how. <laughs> It's like a memory of a page. Or... Pretty much. It's keeping most of the information of the page saved locally. Ah. So that when you try to revisit it, your browser doesn't go, oh, right, I'll connect to this server and download this information. It goes, ah, I've been here before. There you go. Ah. Uh, and the Wayback Machine is essentially a massive selection of cached sites. In fact, I actually made a, a JavaScript tool so I could go on any page, click the tool, and it would... There we go. I don't know if there, there we go, as if you people can see it. But... Um, so the audio medium, Andrew. Yeah. So, yeah, and it'll, it'll look up that page and show you all of the, the versions of it. What? It's hella cool. What happens if someone, like, accidentally clears the cache? It's not actually a cache, though. <laughs> it, it just works the same way. It takes clear, copies of everything. Clear cookies. <laughs> Yay! That's very clever. Just some like intern working at the Internet Archive. Oh, guys, I made it run so much faster. People haven't cleared the cache in so long. Eww. No. <laughs> Delete history. No. But to be honest, uh, like the Internet Archive is, I would definitely advise having a look at it if you're interested in this topic. Um, Web.archive.org. It is Ooh. incredible. Like it's also got like an archive of old animation, and obviously current animation, so none of this stuff gets lost. Uh, software, images, some audio, some books. Ooh. It is actually phenomenal. I mean, that's wonderful, you know. And it's encouraging that so many people have taken it upon themselves to archive the things that matter, because we can't really rely, as we've discovered on the big uh, industry people, because they are profit first, generally. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, they'll do it right up until the point it's not worth their money, and they'll go, bye. <laughs> exactly. Oh, dear. My God. Sorry, they've got uh, a thing here to emulate those wee screen things that went into our Dreamcast controllers. What? Did you ever use one of them? With the Yeah, with the little chows. Yeah, that's the only game I ever saw utilize it. But yeah. <laughs> Very damn. Cool. Okay, that is awesome. I love it. See, I haven't actually Ooh. had to use the Internet Archive for much recently, so I didn't realise how much it has expanded since I last used it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get lost in that later on today, I think. Ooh. Very groovy. But speaking of lost media on the web. Ooh, pivot. Mm-hmm. Flash games. Flash games. Because the underpinning like, software that runs Flash games, Flash, uh, is no longer safe or secure, and the majority of modern browsers don't support it. It was a sad day when it died. Mm. So a lot of like classic ones were changed to HTML5, but there's so many things out there that people put their heart and soul into and developed and made, and they're just gone. You know, flash animation was like different time. It was mental. It was a huge part of the initial internet. Massive. And it was so, you know, I don't want to say innocent because there was some pretty horrific stuff, but it was, um, 
it was that kind of childlike wonder, that explorational spirit, you know. People were just doing it. They didn't have to wait around. They were like, oh, what if Godzilla could fight Batman? Let's make it. I've made it. There we go. And it's it was wonderful. The creativity and the, the frontier spirit of old internet Flash. That's mad. Gorgeous. I used to play so many Flash games. Oh, yeah. That was... Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, were, there were so many of them, and they were free. And, like, a hundred of them were just the same game with different skins. How dare you? <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> like, someone would come up with a really good game concept, and then they'd remake it with just different characters. Speaking of games, actually, so I'm on the TV Tropes, which is another amazing website. Oh, Tropes. Uh, there's a whole section on missing video games. Oh. Um... Star Fox 2 was never released. Oh. Uh, no, actually it was. It was eventually recovered and released in 2017. 2017? Was it called Star Fox 2? It was. Because it was released on the SNES Classic Mini. Oh. <laughs> oh, and it's now on Nintendo Switch Online. I'll have to go give it a shot. That's very cool. But yeah, so there's a lot of older PC games can't run on newer hardware. So if we don't have the source code it's almost impossible to re-engineer them to modern systems. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of things like once like a production company has made the game and they've compiled the software and they've got the image to get put onto the cartridge or the disc or whatever the technology is at the time, they just get rid of the source code. Oh no. Clear space for the next project. Which is not it's not something they do so much now. Yeah. But like in the the eighties nineties, they wouldn't keep it. They wouldn't need it. Why would they hang on to the source code yeah, when they've already released the game? It's a thing. It's not like they can make updates and fire them out over some sort of international network. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. Oh, hey, I've uh, I've had this great idea about loot crates. What are you talking about, man? No, see, the first 16 seven times um, that was suggested, the person was burned at the stake. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, it's interesting because the same thing is what was happening in TV. It was just like, why would we keep it? We're not going to show it again. We don't need to make it again. It's made. You know, we've got the negative. Let's go. This is the, yeah. Uh, and it's that, if only we could have gone back and been like, wait, the technology is coming. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, speaking of Sonic Adventure and the Chow Garden. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2 had a number of free DLC released for the Dreamcast versions. What? Which were excluded from later re-releases and are no longer available to download via official means. Oh. Fans have managed to preserve most, but not all of the DLC. Among the permanently lost content are the black market Chow downloads which included oh. rare chow not available through any other means. Now, I've said the word chow many times, and if you didn't play Sonic Adventure, that's going to be utter nonsense to you. <laughs> it was a, sort of a mini-game in Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, where it was a Tamagotchi, all right? Let's not beat it out of the booch. It was a Tamagotchi where you fed it random animals and it took on aspects of those animals, and then you raced them. And you know what? More addictive than crack cocaine. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I spent Those a lot. So damn cute. I spent a lot of time in Sonic Adventure Two, uh, farming tiny dragons. But yes, of course. 
Oh, my goodness. Again, it just blows my mind that people have taken it upon themselves to, to curate and to cultivate and protect these kind of forgotten things. Power of nerds. Oh, damn it. Mm-hmm. There's, like, lots of lost Metal Gear, like Metal Gear Solid franchise content. Oh. I love that series, The Burning Passion. What kind of stuff we're talking about? Um, so there was a version of the original game made for the game.com console, made by Tiger Electronics. Now, I don't actually remember hearing about this at all. Oh my god, it looks awful. Oh, it was pronounced as a game... It was pronounced Gamecom. It was a, oh. it was a handheld system that came out in 97. Mm. It sort of looks like... Oh my goodness. You had to plug it into a modem. It was a handheld console you had to be connected to a phone line to use. Wow. That's awful. <laughs> but anyway. It's an idea. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 was originally going to be called Metal Gear Solid 3. But why? To basically paint the picture of some sort of conspiracy. Where did 2 go? Oh, those sneaky beasts. I know, who'd do that? That would be so on theme. Well, this is the thing, especially for the Metal Gear franchise. It would be very on, on brand. Ooh, just uh, messing with us. But there are apparently floating about somewhere early trailers still referring to it by that name. Wow. Once again, there's a lot of stuff in that was in development in 2001 that got scrapped as soon as the 9-11 terror attacks happened. Oh, yeah. Um, and there was a lot in Metal Gear Solid 2 that got there's a big chunk of it, apparently. A large and expensive chunk. I think that's part of the reason the game didn't do so well. Oh, no. Interesting. Oh, dear me. Those, that bloody, those terrorists have got a lot to answer for. Yeah, you know, that's, I don't even want to make a joke about that being the worst thing they did. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Just when we think we've discovered all the evils of 9-11, more comes out the rubble. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I'm just reading up about the, um, Sega had a, di- in the 90s, Sega had a digital distribution service known as Sega Channel. Okay, whereas players would receive games straight to their Sega Genesis via a TV signal. What? But the thing is, um, the games would literally just be downloaded and stored in RAM. So as soon as you switch the console off, it's gone. Oh. So there's several games that were exclusive to that platform, which are now gone forever, including which is horrendous and so ironic, Garfield. The Lost Levels. Uh, I've heard about this. <laughs> so they actually released Garfield, The Lost Levels, and then lost it, like, lost them. <laughs> oh my god. That's wonderful. So I, I'd never heard of this, like this whole broadcasting game thing, but apparently the uh, Super Famicom did it as well. That's insane. Like how? I mean, it's just an early version of like Stadia, isn't it? I, yeah, I suppose it's like streaming it rather than it's just, yeah you're streaming not... games and when ga- at that point games were so small you could just load them into ram and crack on yeah how does it come across the tv though it, you will use like a tv signal so it's literally just sort of taking the information uh, and storing it and then running it wow yeah people are clever man damn i'm just having a look here um there's a Commodore 64 based website Games That Weren't 
which investigates lost games by trying to find out why they went unreleased and trying to track down any surviving elements. So they apparently found a full licensed Daffy Duck game, which got ended up getting a score of 94% for quality. You know, they did like a review of it. So when the when the company the company that made it went bust and just never released it. But if they had released it, that would have definitely saved them from going bust. My God. That's so upsetting. Yes, it's this sort of, I don't know what, yeah, like alternative, what could have been, etc. <laughs> the the sort of early gaming like that is incredible. Like you look at the history and you hear about all these things that nearly happened. Just the amount of stuff that never oh. got released. Well, just reading Great. through here though, in um, <laughs> quite uniquely, Minecraft is people go to such a different degree of what's lost because there's old versions of Minecraft that people go, oh, we've got 1.1.1, but we don't have 1.1.2. It's just so bizarre that people go to this, like, the nth degree of, like, trying to archive every version of Minecraft that was ever released. Because the thing is, when it was first out, and long before Microsoft got their mitts on it, the the small version releases were really impactful and important and obviously broke all your mods so you'd have to be like quite um you'd have to be very conscious of what version you were running when you were trying to set everything up my goodness but that is mad proper geekery Mm. apparently there's versions that have been released onto the minecraft launcher but they're recompiled from their original source code so it's technically not the original version yeah it's like a retooling yeah Ooh. That is mad. Proper mental. Have you any any other ones you want to bring up, Ed? Um, I don't know. I think um, I'm trying to think if I know of any other game ones while we're on this topic. Um, I've been on a whole thing recently, um, like watching a lot of YouTube sort of videos about gold and silver. It's kind of become a little hyperfixation for me. Um, it was interesting looking at the uh, the development of that. Because obviously Red and Blue was such a massive game and it was that kind of rush to get gold out, um, gold and silver. Um, there were only four programmers involved on the whole game. What? Um, yep. <laughs> Including um, uh, like literally four coders to reboot, rebuild the whole thing. Um, and uh, there was like an early demo at... Uh, at the Space World conference that Nintendo run, and it was like a totally different game, and they had to cut so much stuff in order to make it viable for release. Um, but it's incredible just the way that they tweak things and manage to, I don't know, adapt to that early technology. It's an, it's an astounding thing. Oh, I mean, I'm th- like thinking of recently, you know, it's stuff like um, when, when, when LucasArts when like Star Wars in general got taken over by Disney, there was that really cool game that was in development. 1313. 1313, which I think probably is what became Fallen Order. No. Because, I mean, there were elements of it, you know. Yeah, I think, I think some, some stuff was put into it, but uh, 1313 was supposed to be no Jedi. Yeah, it was going to be like proper Coruscant underworld, like gritty rogues you know criminals and like 
that whole world and it was going to be amazing. And it just died because, you know, LucasArts got acquisitioned and the team probably got taken on to different things. And, oh, it's a real shame. I'm, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm, in, I'm enjoying. I'm playing Fallen Order just now. Oh, I'm enjoying great game. It, but I remember the hype when, like, that 13-13 launch teaser trailer came out. Hmm. Oh, it was going to be That's great. It's like an E3 announcement. There's another thing has been lost. Oh, uh, E3. E3 died years ago. Yeah, that's... I mean, even in modern times, there are games that almost get to launch and then disappear. Crazy. It's just strange to think about, isn't it? That you put so much time and work into it, and then it's cheaper to not release it. Oh, talking of stuff like um, the Batgirl movie. Oh, which God, was, yeah. Yeah, the entire thing was filmed. Post-production was done. Uh, Brendan Fraser was interviewed saying, I've seen it, like I've watched the film. They they did a screening for us, and then it was deemed cheaper to can it as a tax write-off. It was more, Ugh. it made more economic sense rather than release it to, to, to lock it up. And this is a practice I didn't know about until I heard about this, that apparently so many films a year are just locked away in a vault as tax write-offs rather than releasing them it makes more money for the company and it's just such bullshit uh, that is utter bullshit oh my god like it looked so good and they tore glasgow apart for months and i was kind of hoping to see it just like as some payback for ruining my walks home most days and like <laughs> oh my god and like brendan fraser was talking about it and it was it was gonna be his like big comeback and it's just like ah oh, the 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 Awful bastards at the top of these companies who are running entertainment empires. They just—they're just the worst. Because there were some other, there's some other ones as well, but I can't think. Batgirl is the big one recently, where it was just like an entire movie ready to go. We'll just we'll can it because it's better economic sense. Oh, mad! Release Batgirl. That's what it comes down to, isn't it? Yeah. Ever since the 60s and 70s with the BBC all the way to now, it's money. It's all money. The whole the whole thing's worth money. If there, it if is there wasn't money in it, then nothing would happen. After all, it's not, it's not show charity, it's show business. Yeah. That's, it's always been the problem. It's all about money. It's all about the money, money, money. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, we're talking about, you know, these lost episodes and things in media that never saw the light of day and all these shady backroom deals, of course. And it's time to address the elephant in the room, Andrew. Eddie, no. I mean, we've got to. The people deserve to know. I am, of course, talking about episode 36 of The Badger Shelf that got unceremoniously pulled because... 